Hey everybody, welcome to the first official episode of Developing. I am really excited for today's episode. Uh, my guest is Mason Meninga. He is um, very, very talented. Of, of course, you'll hear all about that in the brief intro I give before we get into conversation. But um, I just wanted to say hey real quick. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Um don't have too much going on. Of course, I always have my newsletter that you can sign up for at mitchellatencio.com. It's where you can get all of my art, even uh, things that I will refuse to post on social media as I protest the algorithms and the overreaching control that social media is having on our lives. I'm trying to put all my special art, all my best art on my newsletter. Um, hoping to reach 100 subscribers soon. I'm, I'm pretty close, so go sign up for that. Um, and yeah, that's, that's really all I've got for now. There'll be more updates in the future. First episode was supposed to be my episode with Catafant. I know some of you heard me say that would be what it was, but technical difficulties are, uh, keeping that one in the workshop for now. So anyway, here's my episode with Mason. Thanks. Hey everybody. I'm Mitchell Atencio. Thank you so much for joining this podcast today with me i have mason meninga hey you he nailed it a... oh did i really yeah so i guess i've been listening sounds to like you. somebody's been you listening to my podcast and knows how to say my my last name correctly well there's there's the spoiler for you mason's a host of people's theology uh one of my favorite podcasts to listen to also a youth worker masters of divinity student uh, he says aspiring theologian, I'll just say theologian, uh, writer, <laughs> I wouldn't go that all, great, great Twitter follow, um, overall just a really talented guy. Um, I'm, I'm impressed with how beautiful your website looks and how good you are at interviewing people. Um, how, you know, well, I'll go into that later. Let's start with the first question. Mason, what are you working on right now, and how is it changing you? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I, I Again, thank you for having me on, Mitchell. This is super fun. You have been a great Twitter follow as well, and um, you just sort of have thank this you. like unapologetic, um, unashamed support of my work, and I can't thank you enough for that. You know, it feels sort of lonely out here in the world a lot of times, especially when you're doing work that is really meaningful to yourself, uh, but you're not sure if it's all that meaningful to other people. And so when, when you do have other people that do that do find it quite meaningful, uh, it really uh, really gives you a sense of, uh, I should keep doing this. This is, uh, this is good. Good. Least... You should. You should keep doing well, it. Well, thank you. So uh, I, I just want to thank you for, for your support. It's been super great. Um, yeah, what am I working on right now? Um, actually, just a few minutes before we, we are recording this, I am working on a paper that I'm writing that I'm actually quite excited to write. It's It's been coming along slower than I anticipated, but uh, a paper that I'm writing, uh, excited to write nonetheless. Um, and that's what I'm working on right now. Do you want me to tell you a little bit about the paper? Yeah, Give it a little do. plug. Um, so I am... Uh, more than anything else in my life ever, I have been influenced by a band called The Chariot. And okay. The Chariot was a Christian, for the lack of a better term, a Christian hardcore band from Douglasville, Georgia. And in all ways, uh, lyrics, sound, performance, recording, uh, their ethos, everything about the band, I have been completely influenced by. Uh, they are easily my favorite band. In fact, I've got a big flag right next to my bed of them. Uh, I, I'm 25, but I really feel like that flag makes my room look like a 21-year-old frat boys. But what? Nonetheless, I digress. And uh, But I'm a huge fan of them, clearly. And uh, they've really, in particular, have influenced my theology, and I took a class uh, a couple months ago called Missional Theology, um, and it was taught by one of my favorite professors, uh, a professor who seems to enjoy the work that I do. He, he's recommended me to, to do a PhD someday. We'll see. Uh, and, and anyway, I, I haven't written a ton about the theology or like the intersection of theology in, in the chariot. 
I, I have done that a little bit with a band called Me Without You, who I also yeah. deeply adore. Um, but I kind of figured, you know, it's probably time to start writing a little bit about the chariot and to sort of flesh that out and what that looks like for me and, and kind of more clearly uh, uncover what it is about the, the chariot that has influenced my theology. And so that's exactly what I'm doing. So I um, am kind of taking a different writing approach than I normally have done. Usually when I write, I do like maybe like a comparative sort of essay or um, I'll kind of just basically expound on something that's already being said in a text, something along those lines. But in this particular essay, what I'm doing is it's sort of twofold. I am in a, like a very semi-biographical way, am detailing the life and the events and the experiences of the Chariot. Uh, being my favorite band, I know a lot about them. I know a lot about the, their mm-hmm. biography, mm-hmm. and I know a lot about a lot of the shows and tours and all the shenanigans they've ever been up to. Um, and so I'm going to write sort of semi-biographical about that, uh, partly because there isn't much written down about them, so... Hence the semi in that. Uh, You've probably filled out half their Wikipedia page for them, haven't you? Uh, I haven't done that, but I, I basically could have if I wanted to. Um, and so all that's to say, like, I, I, there isn't much written about them other than, like, something like Wikipedia. Uh, so it, it kind of needs to be semi-biographical because there's just not much yeah. text out there. There's just not much substance out there for me to sure. riff off of. So I'm, I am, and I told my professor, you know, that most of it's going to be true, but there are definitely going to be pieces where I'll kind of make something up. Um, mm. But all of that is to say what I'm going to do is, is write sort of like in a third-person narrative uh, about experiences and events and stories about the chariot, and then sort of like seamlessly weave different components of missional theology in it. So some of the really core theological pieces to missional theology is something like the incarnation and um, relationality and, you know, all these sort of things. So there's like, I I forget exactly all five. I know relationality being one of them. Uh, I think, yeah, the incarnation I'm writing about right now. Uh, There's there's these other three, though. Uh, And anyway, all that is to say that I'm going to weave kind of those theological pieces into these stories about the chariot. And so it's going to be like a sort of essay like it's not going to be this like one continuous arc of a of a uh, of a central thread trying to weave throughout uh, the whole essay. I'm just going to have like these five individual stories and theological pieces inserted in these stories um, and just kind of have them like these standalone little short essays and then compile them all together. Um, so I'm working on that right now. And I'm really excited about it, uh, again, because I, I haven't done a ton of writing on the theological influence the chariot has had on me. And so I'm just excited about that. I'm excited to just simply write about the chariot. Again, they're my favorite band in the world. They're the most important entity, you could say, in, in my life. And so I'm just excited yeah. to, to write about them in general. Um, and it has been fun. It's just been sort of sluggish for a variety of reasons, but one of which being that... You know, th- this is the, my, the most important thing in my life, and it's really tough to, mm-hmm. to sometimes write about that. It really feels like I have to really dig deep uh, to, to be honest about how important they are, um, and I can't put on this, like, writer's facade uh, where there's a distance between me and the subject. Uh, because the chariot is so deeply close to me, it really feels like uh, when I'm writing about the chariot, I'm really writing about myself. So you've been, I've noticed as I listen to your podcast that music is a big part Mm. of, um, I think like your, you just said it yourself, but your theology and how all those pieces kind of come together. Um, are you finding that the, the, the theological influence or maybe the way you view it is different now than when you first started listening to the band? I think about Mm. how sometimes be it the Bible or music or any other piece that can influence that I'll see it one way when I was 15. I'm like, Oh yeah, this is totally about this. And then I come back to it and I go, 
well, maybe there's something else here. Mm-hmm. Are, are you experiencing that at all? Absolutely. I mean, there's certainly pieces, especially for a band like The Chariot, who's been a part of my life for over 10 years now, that have stayed true throughout my life. And, you know, I don't know. There, there are pieces like the 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 sort of sense of spontaneity about the chariot that have stayed true throughout uh, my life uh, that I still really um, have been influenced by. But there, but the way that I interpret some of those things has certainly changed. Uh, so <laughs> I think of one, uh, one example is uh, w- one of the ways that uh, the front man for the chariot, his name's Josh Scoggin, would often open their shows is uh, he would say something along the, the, the lines of, this stage is your stage, uh, be free, be free, be free, and then they would go into their first mm. song. And, you know, back in my, like, high school liber- uh, libertarian days, freedom meant a different thing than the mm. way that I understand freedom now. Uh, so there's, there's parts of that where there's this sort of sense of, like, total freedom, uh, dare I say even anarchy or anarchism in The Chariot, uh, that that certainly has changed as my theology and my politics have changed. Um, but that's not to say that, like, the idea of freedom, for example, in the chariot, isn't still impo- important to me. It still is. Uh, it's just the way that I interpret it is, is dramatically different. Um, so I think that's one example of the many ways that uh, the chariot still has parts of it that are still really, really important to me that were even important to me 10 years ago when my theology and politics were quite different. Uh, but I just interpret them quite differently uh, than than I did before. Is that Does that kind of strike you as the beauty of art that you can, from two very different vantage points, interpret something and, and appreciate it? And does the medium, the, the type of music it is, influence that? Mm. Those are great questions. Uh, to your first question, absolutely. I, I think one of the, the beauties of art is that there's this inherent multiplicity in it. Uh, there's this inherent plurality in it uh, where art can't be art can't be grasped. It certainly can't be grasped by one person, right? By, mm. by one interpretation. In fact, uh, the closest we can come to grasping art is just simply holding it in our hands, holding it in our hand wide open. That's <laughs> the closest. We, yeah, but we can't yeah. grasp it. It can't be ours. Uh, in fact, I, I think, uh, furthermore, art can't even be grasped by the artists themselves, right? So one of the things that Scoggin would often talk about um, in The Chariot was that a song was never finished. It was just simply yeah. was recorded. Yep. Right? Yep. There's uh, a Dr. Drake quote where he says the same thing. He says, no song's ever finished, it's just released. Yeah, yeah. That's probably who he's riffing off of, too. Um, yeah, it, it, and, I, and I think that even highlights the fact that there's even a multiplicity of meaning and interpretation in art itself within the own creator, I, I think that's even something, which you could even go, uh, you could riff on that maybe if, if, that's, if that's an inherent thing of how humans relate to their art, and just think about how God as a creator relates to God's creation, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's not even a, a way in which uh, God, and that maybe this is my process theology lens speaking, but there's not even a way where God can fully grasp God's creation. Like there's this sense of letting go and sort of like creating and letting go and seeing what happens and not being able to control that and allow it to never finish and ever evolve. Like that might be part of the relationship God has with creation as a creator, right? Just in the same way that as we create, uh, as we create a piece of art, that art is now thrown into a world of interpretation and you have no control over it. And that's, you know, that's the risk of art, right? That's the risk of, of creating something and allowing people to interpret it, to allow people to find their own meaning in it. And uh, so that's the risk of it. That's the, that's the uh, 
you know, if, if you'd like to go, that's the downside of art, but it's also the beauty of art. Yeah. That it can be so varied in its meaning and interpretation. Um, yeah. Can you ask that second part of the question? Because I think that was a really good one, too. Yeah, I want to make sure I'm answering quick, it though, fully. I just, just kind of want to riff on, you're talking about creation and creating something that creates itself. I remember growing up, that was kind of like almost the excuse for why we could believe in something like eternal conscious torment. Like, well, God gave us agency so that we could have relationship, you know, we're not, we're not mm. Sims. God's not choosing our every action. And, and, um, but I think you just kind of hit like a, a, what I thought was always the more beautiful aspect of the concept of, um, being creators ourselves is that God purposely chose not to finish the work. Like I think about this story <laughs> in, in Genesis that God places it all there and then says, you give it name, you give it meaning mm. to, mm-hmm. you know, in, in this, in this, garden narrative that God doesn't say, okay, these things have names. I hope you can find it. But rather that there's, there's this, in my view, symbolism of, um, letting meaning come via something else. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. The second question was just kind of like, what does the medium mean to you? Um, you seem to be somebody, if I put it together properly, who prefers harder rock and, and, you know, some of that post core type music. Um, does the medium have an effect on your ability to keep coming back to it, even when your perspective starts to shift? Yeah. Okay. I'll answer that in a second. I want to riff off of well, the, the last just, thing you said too. We can keep going with what we're saying. I mean, we don't have yeah, to. I, I, but I do want to, I, I do want to answer that question. Cause that's a great okay. question too. Okay. Um, so wh- one of the things I also love about good art and you could say the same about the Genesis one narratives is that when God creates, God calls creation very good, right? Yeah. And the, I, I think what is implicit, I don't, ne- I don't know if it's necessary or it's a necessary component to art, but it, it's certainly implicit to art, is that when art is good, it will engender other good art. Right? Mm. So when, when someone listens to what I deem to be good art, like the chariot, that inspires other people to create similar art or art, you know, maybe it doesn't even have to be another like hardcore band, but you know, I know, I certainly know people who have been deeply influenced by the chariot and that influences their photography or their painting or whatever it might be. Right. Or yeah. yeah. So uh, one of the things that I think is just deeply inherent and implicit in good art is that it always engenders other good art, just in the same way, as you mentioned that when God creates a very good piece of art, a very good creation, it engenders then creation to create. Uh, mm. Just, you know, as you mentioned, like God uh, called upon uh, humans to name and to create. Uh, in fact, we, in, especially in terms of reproduction, we, we, we do that yeah. quite well. Um, that's the one thing that we haven't, uh, the one commandment we have obeyed quite well. Um, so, I think deeply inherent into God's nature and the relationship that God has to creation is that when something is created that is good, it implicitly, again, I don't want to say necessitates, but it implies that good arts, good creation will come out of that. Um, Okay, so to your second question, I, I certainly am a, a fan of that particular style, of that particular medium. And I think the medium really uh, is important. Um, all that's to say, like, it's not that I exclusively listen to that particular kind of music. In fact, uh, you know, as, as abrasive and as disruptive even the chariot is in their sound, that isn't uh, representative of all the music I listen to. I, in fact, my, my other two favorite bands are Sergeros and Explosions in the Sky. And if anybody's ever listened to them, like Sergeros is almost like this orchestra. It's like the closest thing to the sound that you would imagine elves to make. <laughs> like, it's just very different than, than something uh, like The Chariot. Uh, so I do, I do think the medium certainly is important. And... I think that is one, as much as I have changed in my life, the, 
the reasons why I still listen to that type of music uh, has remained pretty consistent in my life, uh, despite all the ways that I've changed. Um, so, for example, like The Chariot being this like really abrasive, hardcore, disruptive, um, Scoggin has described their sound as stressful. <laughs> um, the reason why I, I find that music so enticing is I think it, it really is the visceral response that one's body has from listening to music like The Chariot. Um, just in the same way that like the beat in hip hop or even pop uh, kind of gets this like dancey rhythmic feel in one's body. I and mean, there's a reason why people dance to that music. Um, I think the way that the body engages with music like the chariots is deeply, deeply visceral. Um, it's really carnal even. And, and so I, I think the way that the body gets engaged with music like that is really interesting to me. It's really enticing to me. Um, and it, it moves the body very differently than a band like Sergros, right? So Sergros is, like I said, this very like orchestra, like fairy sounding kind of music. It, uh, I've, I've, I sometimes see like jokes on Twitter about like the the Sergros sounds like the the mating call of whales. <laughs> um, it, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, they certainly are. They're, I mean, there's a reason why they're as critically acclaimed as they are. And, you know, it moves the body very di differently, right? Like your, your body's not going to be thrashing around as you listen to Sergros. But your body, I think, when you listen to Sergros, tends to be, it's like this more like central vibration that's happening. Um, and so while your body might not be moving, uh, in this really carnal, even dare I say animalistic way, it is really reverberating. Like you sort of feel like these vibrations happening, you know, especially once they like get those like crescendos with their Ebo and all the symbols getting clashed and everything. Um, I, I really sense this like deep vibration within my body when that, when that, uh, that sound is happening. Um, which again is very different than something like the chariot. And so I, I certainly think that the medium matters a lot. And I might now in my life be more reflective of how my body is engaged with that sound. Maybe, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have been like, no, I just really like that sound. And that was all my reflection on it. Um, but as my theology and politics have changed, I have recognized how bodies really matter to the way one reflects theologically, the way that one reflects politically. Um, and I think that even extends into how one reflects in their appreciation for music. And as I've reflected on my appreciation for Sergeros and Explosions in the Sky and The Chariot and all the bands I really like, I've been more reflective on how each one of them affects my body differently and how my body responds to each one of them differently. Uh, so I think in that way, like their styles uh, as bands certainly affect my body in different ways. And that's something that I think has been true in all the years that I've listened to these bands. The only difference is I've been more reflective now than I was maybe in the past. I don't think I've ever given thought to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, as you're talking, thinking about, what my body might desire or how it might respond to different music. I think we can all um, know there's a difference between, you know, you put on a symphony and that's definitely sit down music versus, you know, if you're, if you're putting on some heavy metal, you're probably more likely yeah. going to do something physical. Um, but I've never given thought to, you know, I, I kind of grew up once I started choosing music for myself beyond just listening to whatever my parents were listening to. Um, I started, with probably family force five is like the first band that I can say I, <laughs> I went to as my own. 
Love addict. And, uh, yeah. Country oh, gentleman. Gosh. There's, there's, uh, <laughs> there's some stories I could tell. Uh, but it's interesting because my path has kind of went from that to hip hop. And now I'm in this weird kind of eclectic space where you're just as likely to find me listening to Kendrick Lamar and Mad Lib as you are to find me listening to Paul Simon and, you know, the Beatles and, and kind of more freaky right, stuff. Right. But I've never given thought to um, how does my body react to this and what do I need from it? I played sports so I can think about how I, I, I didn't listen to a lot of Paul Simon before football games. Uh, <laughs> I And, you know, but that's a that's a really good kind of way to come at it. Um, yeah, that's a great example, though, in the context of sports. Uh you know, I'm sure a lot of athletes, I was an athlete myself, I'm sure a lot of athletes aren't reflective on why they like the music that they like when they are getting ready for a game or when they're working out or whatever. Um, but it's all because of the way that their body reacts to that music, right? Yeah. Art affects our bodies. And, you know, it doesn't even have to be music. It can be, you know, even when I, um, well, actually, interestingly enough, I really love the show Chef's Table. Okay. And if you've ever seen Chef's Table, you know, not only are the stories and the chefs that they highlight are great, but the cinematography of that show might be the best I've ever seen. And even the cinematography of Chef Table, Chef's Table really moves me. Mm. Uh, it Very similar, similarly to the way that I moved when I listened to Sergeros. Uh So I think really good art really deeply moves our bodies. It actually affects materiality. And uh, I think there's something to be said about how then we think about how, how, how theology then is affected by our bodies and how theology affects our bodies. Like there's sort of this mutuality between our bodies and theology, and they both are reciprocal in that they both affect one another. You're, um, I'm kind of curious now because your podcast explores different theologies, people's theology, right? You're, you're entertaining um, maybe what is not the, the norm in American Christianity um, or that right. a lot of people haven't experienced. But you also have musical guests on each episode. I, was, I thought it was really refreshing to hear you also interview the musical guests, not just yeah. your, your main guest. But I have experienced where I listen to podcasts on my runs a lot and I'll listen to one episode and it's really intriguing thoughtfully. And as you transition out from one point to the next, I, I could get anything from kind of a, a guitar and a, a twangy folk singer uh, and, you know, some of that more kind of metal music, which is a very different. If I'm just listening to people talk, I'm just there running. But I've noticed even in my own body, when I listen to your podcast on a run, I might have very different I might have a very different run depending on which musical guest you have which maybe I'll leave that into my question which is like um do you give consideration to the music and the theology and how they align like there's um take something like like transpantheism or where it's kind of the the emphasis there is almost this interconnectedness of everything right um I, w I would think that you would kind of associate that more with softer sounds than if you were to take like black liberation theology, which is kind of girded in this idea of um, pushback and a carving out space for yourself and saying like, I belong um, and there's nothing you can say to me, you know, saying to the oppressors, the white supremacists, there's nothing you can say that changes that. But I'm curious, how does that, as you're creating the podcast, how do you give consideration to what music goes along with what topic? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, my answer to that is, I wish I could. <laughs> um, I really am at like the discretion of what, what artists are willing to have their music on my podcast. And, you know, th there's only a, a certain amount of artists that I'll kind of have in the bank at one point. And so in that regard, you know, I might have three, four, maybe even five artists in the bank at one point, and I can then kind of maybe mix and match a little bit about like what artists would fit well with, uh, this interviewee, this guest. Um, but it's not like I have this sort of unlimited resource of artists with varying styles of whatever that I think then fit well with this particular guest's topic or interest or book or whatever it might be. 
Um, mm. I, I really am at the discretion of who's willing to reach out and say that they're willing to have their music on. Um, with that said, you know, even with the, the, the limit, limited amount of discretion I have to do that, um, I do try my best to, to have some, uh, some like sense of that artist's music fits well with this particular guest. Um, but again, I'm really at the discretion of who's ever willing to, to have, uh, to be on. Uh, so I find it interesting that, you know, you mentioned that like when you go on a run that your body is affected differently, uh, when you're listening to, you know, something like transpantheism and I forget what artist was on that episode, but whoever it was like their music then moves you with in conjunction with the topic that's being talked about in conjunction with the style of that music. Um, that's all serendipitous. Uh, so I think it's really interesting that, uh, that you're able to still find like, um, this like overlap that's happening and that overlap moves your body in a particular way. Uh, I find that really interesting because it's not like there's a lot of thought going into me trying to, uh, line the, the line, the guest up with the artist. How do you how do you get your guests? I sometimes it seems like they know whoever your topic guest was on, and the musical guest had some sort of relationship with them. Do you often ask your topic guest for music recommendations? Or yeah, that, yeah, that's a good question. Um, no, normally don't. Um, there there have been certainly times, especially if I know that that guest is like fairly involved in like the music world, or they would would be connected with artists. Um, so for example, I had a episode with Lenny Duncan, who's a pastor out in yep. New York and he knew, uh, actually I reached out to him because he, at one point, I don't know if it was during the interview or pre interview or post interview, but at one point we started talking about how he knew a bunch of artists in the area. And this was, uh, he, I mean, he didn't know anything about the fact that I had artists in my episodes and he just like mentioned it offhandedly and you know, that perks up my ears of like, okay, you might know some local people who might be interested in having some of their music. And so that's how that came about. And I think there's been a few others. Uh, obviously, for example, like I interviewed Garrett Russell, who is the front man for a band called Silent Planet. Obviously, because he's in Silent Planet, I had Silent Planet in there. Um, but normally, it the way that I get musical artists is I just reach out to people, people who I know are artists and are really connected to the music world and they might know some people um or i'll just like send out like a a, a, twi a tweet or an instagram uh post about hey if there's any artists out there who would be or if you know of any artists who would be willing to be on the podcast let me know uh and that's mainly how i've gotten by and it's worked out great i've been able to meet gosh probably close to 75 more maybe wow. not quite 75 but like around there since doing the podcast i've been able to meet like 75 great bands and artists and um but yeah that's mainly how i do it uh it's not this like really cool like i'm trying to line things up and get all the stars aligned well like that's not happening i wish it was i wish i was able to be like pretty intentional about that and really construct this like uh this like well-intentioned episode that's like this like carefully curated thing and as much as I wish I could do that I don't have the resources for that and um but I don't know maybe someday I'll get to that point where I really could do something like that where it's this really carefully constructed and curated episode where it does sort of feel like an art piece I still don't feel like I'm quite at that point I would love to, to think of my podcast as an art piece as an art form um I don't think I'm there yet, but I would love to get to that point where I, I feel well-skilled enough for that and well-resourced to be able to do that. What, um, what's the difference between a theologian and somebody who just likes to talk about God a lot? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, let me put it this way. I, I think everybody is a theologian. Uh, okay. Whether or not someone loves to talk about God, I, I think everybody is a theologian. Um, I, I think everybody's reflecting on God, on the divine, on, 
on the imminent and transcendentness of all things. I, I think people are constantly doing that. Um, whether or not that they're conscious about it, whether or not they're explicitly talking about it, their lives are lived implicitly <laughs> uh, as if they're reflecting on that. Uh, and so I think everybody's a theologian. Um, I think, you know, maybe the difference between someone who's like an academic theologian and somebody who is what I was just describing, I, I think the only difference is the explicitness of it. Maybe how much money mm. somebody's getting from that explicitness. <laughs> that might be a difference too. <laughs> so, so now I'm curious, why, why is Mason Meninga a aspiring theologian? Yeah, that's a great question. Not, not just a theologian. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously with my definition, I would certainly be a theologian. Um, I, I the reason why I have ins- aspiring in there is because I, you know, I would love to get to that point where, uh, whether it's in academia or not, I would love to get to the point to where um, my reflection on theology is is something that people really are inspired by. Um, and they, they want to read and they are actually even willing to pay some money to, to engage with. Uh, so in that regard, I, I am sort of aspiring because I, I don't feel like I'm there yet. Uh, but I would love to be there someday. Um, that's not to say that I'm not a theologian already. I am a person who obviously very explicitly reflects upon God. Um, but I would love to get to the point where, for whatever reason, my reflections, uh, people want to engage with them, read them, watch them, whatever it is that I do. So uh, listen to them. Uh, so yeah, I, I would love to, to get to that point. And so that's uh, why I have the aspiring as the qualifier to okay. my being a theologian. Well, I think it's good to have goals and something to aim for. And I also admire that um, you didn't just read a couple books and then start sharing what you read and then decided to call yourself a theologian. Um, I, I agree with your definition that, that, that everyone is in some way, um, a theologian, but I also like that there's an intentionality behind what you're trying to do and what your goals are rather than just in the same way that everybody is an artist, but no, not everybody would define themselves right. as an artist, even if they're working on it. Um, right. I could, I could probably in similar ways call myself an aspiring artist because I've sold two pieces of work in my entire career. It's like, that's not, you know, that I, I've not yet reached that goal of making money or making a living right, from right. being an artist. Um, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. The, the only, yeah. The thing I just wanted to add to that was, um, yeah, I think there's just this difference between like the, my like technical definition of a theologian being that everybody is, um, and the sort of like operative definition of it, uh, of, you know, somebody who is making money because of their reflections on God, whether, you know, most of those people being in academia, but um, yeah, like I, I would love to get to that point where, uh, where my reflections seem to matter enough where, you know, I can make a living off of it, that it would be like this vocation of mine. Um, as much as I think that everybody's a theologian, I don't know if everybody's vocation is to be a theologian, right? Um, mm. uh, so I, I would love to... Get, I, I want my vocation. <laughs> Maybe it isn't uh, exactly what God is calling me to do, but I would love for my vocation to be uh, a theologian. So, yeah. yeah I think that, that I think the cool. artist uh, comparison is a, is a fair one. I think it's, it's very similar in that regard. Well, I always like to try and open it up to see if you, uh, if the guest has any questions for me, if there's anything that in our relationship they've been dying to know. You don't have to have anything. I've got a few more lightning round ones if you don't, but I'm going to open the floor to you. Anything you want to ask me? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious about what, uh, <laughs> m- maybe this is a really selfish question, but um, in terms of the work that I, I've created, what, what has been inspiring to you well first let me say no selfish questions you're the guest you can kind of consider this like you're the guest in my home space so it's whatever you want to do you know um (laughs) but what about your work has been inspiring to me um one i appreciate that there is somebody with 
different levels of societal privilege who is trying to use that to catapult other people mm. into prosperous positions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's one of the like primary goals for my life. I was just mm. asked this by my cousin the other day. He said, why do you, why do you care so much about the things that you care about? um, in, in justice issues. And I said, because I see myself as somebody with, um, an immense amount of social, but also just personal privileges. Um, and I think that it's my responsibility to use that to love my neighbors well. And that a part of doing that is uplifting people who don't have the opportunities I do. So in some ways, I think I see a reflection of that in, in the work you're doing on people's theology. Mm-hmm. Um, also, you're just, uh, you are an interesting person. <laughs> um, you, I, I, I'm a huge Michael Gunger fan. I've listened to a lot of episodes that Michael Gunger was a guest on, on different podcasts. I would say that eventually I stopped doing that because as he's been talking about the work he's been doing... It all sounds the same. Mm. I listened to your episode with him, and I thought, this sounds nothing like the other guest episodes that Michael Gunger's been on. I heard new things. You know, I, Some of it was the same. He's promoting the same piece of work. But I think that you are an interesting um, spark to any conversation, be it with a person or with an ideology or a theology. Um, I think you bring something that other people don't. So you know, you're magnetic in that way. Um, and you, you have cohesive work, you do good work, you have good branding and advertising and, um, you had my favorite Twitter header of all time for a while. (laughs) I Um, know. I'm sorry. No, no, it's your Twitter. But, uh, but no, (laughs) I, I just, I, yeah, I think there's something, um, interesting about you. And then also it seems like there's a purpose to your work that I really resonate with. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, as somebody who listens to lots of theology podcasts, you know, I, I'm fairly involved in the world of it. Um, yeah, one of the things that I, I sense missing were, were two things. I, I think there were lots of people who were maybe highlighting voices who normally and historically have been marginalized. Um, and maybe they were highlighting those people, but like in very non-accessible ways. It just, you know, w- whether or not the, the jargon was non-accessible or maybe it just like wasn't well produced or whatever it might be. Um, or there were people who had these really well produced, very accessible theology podcasts, uh, but they were all a bunch of straight white men. Yeah. <laughs> like that's all who their guests were. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think part of, especially in the rebranding of the, the podcast, I have really sensed that, you know, those are two things I'm really trying. Whether or not I'm doing well, you know, you, you certainly seem to be a person that likes um, the work that I'm doing. Um, uh, but th- that's at least the, the purpose behind it. I, I yeah. really want to highlight voices and theologies that I, I find um, really interesting and, and that clearly I find, uh, as the tagline is, inspiring and liberating. Um, and, and so that certainly means that I need to be highlighting people who have been historically and even today are marginalized. Uh, and, uh, yeah, like, I, I think that's certainly a purpose behind it. Um, I was, I forget who it was. I was telling somebody the other day, uh, you know, not only am I trying to, one of the purposes being that I'm trying to share all of that, but I'm also just like deeply interested in those people too. Like yeah. I think they're yeah. just fascinating characters and interesting people who are just that they're people, you know, they're not just theologians. They're not just authors. They're not just writers. They're not just bloggers. They're not just whatever that they're doing in the world. They are people who are just simply interesting. And, uh, so when I, when I formulate my questions, a lot of that is trying to, to get that. I want to uncover the person behind mm-hmm. a particular person's work. Uh, I don't want to just know the person's work. I want to know the person behind it. And so I think when I ask a lot of the questions that I do, I'm trying to really get at who is this person behind this that's uh, creating this. And, you know, of course, I want to talk a little bit about the work. I want to get into that headspace of the theology of it and everything. But I also want to know who this person is. What's in, you know, what, what inspired their work? What did they learn about themselves when they did their work? Uh, I, I want to know who they are as people. Um, and so that's another purpose in that. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, you, you open the podcast that way, right? You open with this question of who are you to yeah. you? 
Um, I love hearing how people interpret that question differently. Um, Mm -hmm. And I love that it's the type of question that never gets a two-sentence response. It's more than that. They're they're almost always, you know, I haven't listened to every episode, but uh, people seem to be like there's a very introspective nature to that um, that people don't really feel like they can pin down who they are in a very Mm. simple way. Um, Yeah. I was just going to say, as far as public support, um, you know, my background's journalism, and being at uh, the Walter Cronkite School, where I went to school, one of the top journalism programs in the nation, I learned a lot of things, not just about storytelling, but also about the underside of it. So... You know, the reason that you see me quote tweeting, retweeting, answering the questions is um, half just I've been on the other side of the battle. I've been where I'm looking Mm. for people to interact with my work um, and they don't. And I'm like, I just I want to do this and I am doing it. But how do I get people to respond? And so part of like the, you know be the change you want to see in the world, I guess, is that like, if I have a a newsletter, a monthly newsletter, I want people to sign up. So when I see people's monthly newsletters, if the topic is interesting to me, I'm going to sign up. And if I like somebody's paintings, I'm going to promote their paintings in whatever spaces I can. If I like someone's podcast and they want to know which episode's my favorite, I'm going to tell them. Um, So I, yeah, I don't know if that was also part of your question about like why, why I do so much of, of what I do. Um, yeah. but it's just this, that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I love that. I love the reciprocal nature of that. I, I, have sensed, yeah, I, I I've, ex, I've sensed extreme generosity out of you as, you know, somebody, you know, we, this is the first time we've ever, you know, met in person, if you will, obviously sure. we've been interacting on Twitter for quite some time, but, um, I, even in, in those Twitter interactions, I've sensed a lot of, sincerity and generosity from you. And I deeply appreciate that. Um, like I said at the beginning, you know, it really can sometimes feel lonely out there as, as I'm sure, uh, in your journalist experience, uh, you experience a lot of that too. Uh, and yeah, I, I really appreciate all of the, the support you've given. And, you know, I try to, to do something similar, right? Like when, um, when I see a friend doing a thing, right? Like I, I want to make sure that they're, they're getting my support and appreciation from the work that they're doing. Um, I often kind of have this little snarky, actually one of the things I do when I like, before I follow somebody on Twitter, I, one of the things, and maybe, maybe this is really conceited or, um, or whatnot, but one of the things I look at is their tweet to like ratio because I think it might, you know, I know it's Twitter and everything, but like, I think that says a little bit about, you know, something, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I think it says, you know, well, first off, like does it, I think it first off says that, what do you think of your voice versus the voice of others? Um, and, and, and subsequently, how, willing are you to be generous on here right and that's mm. not the that's not like an end-all be-all of like how generous someone might be yeah I, i'm not trying to say that but in terms of how they're using their time on twitter that says something right yeah. like if they're yeah. if they're tweeting way more than they're liking tweets that might say something right um again that's not an end-all be-all to their whole character i'm not yeah. trying to pass yeah. that judgment but it is like a, a terms of a judgment of like how i will follow somebody um, or yeah. if I will follow somebody, um, is their, uh, their generosity on there as well. And, you know, as much as we want to say that, like, uh, Twitter isn't real life, I really think it's a, it's a certainly an aspect of real life. And, uh, and so if you're using your time generously on a platform like Twitter, uh, that might, uh, that might be an indication or a sign of, your generosity in, um, the other aspects of life. So, yeah, yeah. I, I like that. I usually look at the, the tweet to retweet ratio. If someone spends most of their time just retweeting, I'm like, mm. okay, well, you're not, I'm not as interested because you're not sharing what you're sharing. You're probably just putting something onto my feed that someone else already did. Um, but, uh, I, 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 I think it's all the real world. Um, growing up, I had a lot of people say to right. me, just wait till you get to the real world. And I, I've gotten, really 
tired of the idea. Like if they, if they had wanted to say to me, just wait until you're an adult or just wait till you get to adulthood or have bills to pay or any of the things that we were, they were trying to imply with that. Um, yeah. I, I would have been fine with it, but I was like, what makes what you do on a daily basis any more real than what I do at 12 years yeah. old on a daily basis? Yeah, and I think totally. the same goes for Twitter. If you want to say, uh, you know, the support for Democratic presidential nominees is different on Twitter than it is in the rest of the world. Great. Go for it. That's absolutely true. But if you want to say Twitter isn't real life, well, it, it's just as much a part of real life as any of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just I'll a be, different part of life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, um, I'll reveal a little bit about myself. I think I also support because when I find something I really like, I want to be a part of it. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, so I, one of my best friends now is a, a guy named uh, Suede, he's Southpaw Suede, he's a rapper, and I have done album art for him. But I, I started as a fan. Like, I just found his music, wow. listened to it, and then I just tweeted at him enough um, my, my general way of using Twitter is to assume that I, I do actually know everybody on the platform. Like I just kind of treat <laughs> them as if they are my friend in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, 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 partially because I'm like, haha, yes, eventually they will start treating me like a friend too. Um, but also I think it helps me to put it in perspective. So, I mean, like, I'm doing this podcast because I, I hope it's interesting content and I hope that the concept is something that people enjoy listening to, but also now I've gotten the chance to sit and talk with you face to face. And now I'm going to get to sit and talk with a bunch of other artists and creators that I really like face to face. And so if nobody else ever gets anything out of this, maybe eventually I'll have to shut it down. But now I've had some good conversations with some good people before I do. That's exactly, that's exactly how I've approached a people's theology as well. Well, I think I've taken enough of your time. Uh, anything you want to promote? Any content or any other questions you want to ask me before I let you go? Yeah, I'll I'll just kind of I'll just tell people how they can uh, get connected to me. Uh, so I do have a website, uh, masonmeninga.com, M-A-S-O-N-M-E-N-N-E-N-G-A. Yeah, so you can uh, you can follow me on Twitter, and uh, that is at masonmeninga. And, uh, yeah, I tweet, I most, uh, I most use Twitter. I really like Twitter a lot. I've, uh, encountered so many great people on there and, uh, yeah, please, uh, if you do follow me on Twitter, don't think I'm all that serious on there. I've often, uh, joked that I I'm 99% serious on, on there and the other 1% is on my Patreon, which is to say, if you would like to support my work financially, uh, if you find that, uh, compelling enough, you can support me on there. Uh, and I've got varying tiers, uh, of, uh, support, uh, that you can, uh, you can uh, find yourself in, and I, I've got lots of different kinds of rewards, including papers and uh, early releases and all sorts of different nonsense that you might find interesting. So, yeah, you can find me on my website. I'm also on Instagram as well, um, and you can find me on there. And I, I, I at least post stories frequently. I don't really post posts frequently. but uh, So, yeah, uh, that's where you can find me. Perfect. Um, I hope everybody goes and supports you. I hope that uh, those with money will start giving you money and uh, in, and letting your work influence their work and all the things they're doing. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you.